Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. We're celebrating later in the episode with the spring book picks I love. But first, I'm thrilled to have on the show today, Laura Thompson, author of Heiresses, The Lives of the Million Dollar Babies, which is out tomorrow. If you've heard of Laura Thompson, it might be from pinning the New York Times bestseller, The Six, The Lives of the Mitford Sisters, and her new book, Heiresses, brought up so many questions for me, as you'll hear in our conversation. Is being rich more of a burden than a blessing? How do you know whether someone wants to be around you or wants to be around your money? Is it true that more money brings about more problems? I will say this, as someone who is decidedly not rich, I left this book and this conversation never happier to be decidedly middle class. Take a listen to our conversation. Laura, I absolutely loved the book. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for your lovely words. Oh, I I tore through it. So I've, I've got to know what through your writing of this book, did you find were major differences in being an heiress rather than an heir? How is it different for girls and for women? Well, yes, very good question. And I do sort of address this in the, I, I, I did an introduction that was almost the hardest part of the book of all, trying to tease all this out, you know, set the book up. And I did, yeah. Why is it different for girls? Well, it usually is different for girls. And um, in fact, the earlier part of the book, which is, oh my God, you know, I was kind of, my jaw was dropping even as I was writing it, does deal with the fact that, um, well, certainly in the UK before, you know, the late 19th century, women kind of had no identity in law. And to be an heiress, unless you were doubly protected by being really posh, um, to be an heiress was almost, you know, if you got married, he got everything. Mm. A a married couple had one identity in law, which was him. So it was different in that very, very stark sense that a woman on the whole didn't get to keep, you know, control of the thing that in, the modern world tends to give us power and agency, i.e. money. But also, you know, it's like that famous picture of Patty Hearst with the, with the gun. Anything that's filtered through the female, even now, even now, and it will change and it is changing, but it still feels like the norm is male. So, you know, to see a woman holding a gun is, wow, more incredible than to see a man holding a gun. For, for a woman to have great wealth is still, everything, you know, is a little bit more piquant, a little bit more salacious, a little bit more, you know, oh, I know it just seems to arouse stronger emotions in, in, in the woman herself and in, and in us, the beholders. But as I say, this is changing. This probably will change. But at the moment, I still don't think it has completely changed. I agree with you. I don't think so either. So you write about so many million dollar babies. What surprised you the most in your research? Well, do you know, Rachel, in a weird way, it was how many of them did actually have a good time. <laughs> because <laughs> um, this, <laughs> um, because the, 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 you know, again, to go back to my introduction, um, I talk, I, I address this 
cliche, the poor little rich girl, the, the, the million dollar baby, the one who's crying all the way to the bank and all this kind of thing. Um, and, and I talk about heiresses in fiction and how usually they have a much worse time than the, the poor girl who's, you know, free-spirited Elizabeth Bennet versus Anne de Burr in Pride and Prejudice, blah, blah, blah. Um, there's loads of them in Henry James. Um, and I thought, well, this is, it's a cliche, the poor little rich girl, but my goodness, it's also pretty often quite true. And of course, I really try to explore this. Why does having the thing that, that makes life easy, that makes your own life, your own playground, as it were, your own plaything, why does it, why does it not bring happiness? Um, you know, leaving aside external things like, you know, bereavements or illness or stuff. It, it, it itself does not seem to show the way to happiness. Um, and yet some of them did. Some of them, like um, this group of women at the start of the 20th century, who, who, whom I really adored, the, the sort of Parisian enclave, starting with Winnaretta Singer, the sewing machine heiress, and going through to people like Natalie Barney and um, even Gertrude Stein, you know, they were all rich women. They were usually um, lovers of other women and um, they were artistic and they, it was a real little enclave within an enclave, the lesbian, the rich lesbians of that glorious Parisian explosion of liberation mm -hmm. and artistry. Um, so, so things like that interested me, um, you know, because the woman, and to whom I constantly re return, who's going to be familiar to your listeners, is Barbara Hutton, who yeah. is like the uber heiress, ticks, ticks every box. But that, but that, that was not, you know, always, always the case. Thank heavens, else it would have been a, a, a pretty depressing book, I think. <laughs> well, you know, this book is is compelling for the study of these women, but it's also compelling. Because as someone who, spoiler alert, is not an heiress and is not incredibly wealthy, I'm a writer and a podcaster, ergo, I am not a, a multimillionaire, spoiler alert. It's, it's interesting to see how money can often sometimes really be a burden. And um, you write that there is a layer of, uh, I, I found this incredibly compelling, a layer of automatic mistrust that wealthy heiresses have that someone like me, who is not a wealthy heiress, doesn't have to combat. When someone loves me or someone wants to be my friend, they love me for me. They certainly do not love me because they want some of my money, because what money? But how, how did these women cope with that layer of mistrust? Yes, it's a really good, I, I, I may say this, it's quite a fun book to read if you if you aren't particularly well off because uh, I like you, I'm a, you know, <laughs> not an heiress and my goodness, you know, it was quite, it, it, it was quite consoling in a way not to be um, sometimes writing this book. But um, I suppose you could make an analogy with a girl who's fantastically beautiful or it doesn't always have to be money. This, this thing of love me for myself, which is the, you know, again, to go back to Elizabeth Bennett, I suppose that's why people love that book so very, very, very much, because Elizabeth really is loved for herself. Mm. Um, and, and I don't know 
if that is always the case, thinking of men I've gone out with, maybe they loved me because I had a bigger flat than they did and they could live in it. Or maybe, you know, maybe, I, I don't know. No, that's ridiculous, but you know what I mean? There are external um, uh, kind of factors in, do you, do you love, I don't know, Brad Pitt more than someone who doesn't look so good? So you can, what does it mean to be loved for yourself? self is a is quite a big question but those girls yeah the the the, the what you call the layer of mistrust is is it's real <laughs> you can't you can't and of course to go back to the master henry james i mean washington square sets that out more perfectly than any other you know that little book that novella and my god it's so full of truth about money and being what, what does it do to a woman's psyche um and of course, Barbara Hutton again, just marrying over and over again. And in the end, you know, could she be loved for herself? Could she even be liked for herself? You know, it's it it it, it once that mistrust takes root, it, it I imagine it grows exponentially. And once the heiresses entered the 20th century and the law was not quite so monstrously on the man's side um, and the, the the specter of feminism and some sort of semblance of equality was kind of galloping toward women not just heiresses all women then this kind of existential thing of um oh, why do you know the heiress's burden took it whereas the heiress's burden had been real because if you got married you lost your money usually now it's, um, I don't have to lose it in law, but quite often I'm gonna squander it anyway, um, like Barbara did. And that, that's really interesting to me, that kind of inner, I don't know, what was it? I try and tease it out, guilt or um, this, 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 you know, this sense of where is my value within the Chanel and the diamonds and, and what have you. It, it really, it really is quite, Quite interesting and it, it is a yeah it's a theme that that, that that runs through the book of course yeah no it's totally compelling and I I loved reading the stories of each women um just talk about drama just jumping off the page but um it it also had me thinking about you know we we all know proverbially that money can't buy us happiness we hear that but it, it had me thinking can money actually be a breeding, a breeding ground, excuse me, for, for unhappiness? And then you have this other layer that you dig into in the book that there is a pressure to be happy because one has money. That if, if you're facing, you know, any of life's many problems, get over it you're rich, you know, and that's not, that's, that's kind of toxic to me. And, you know, do, do these heiresses, do they feel this pressure to be happy because they're wealthy? Well, I think you would. Um, yes. Uh, it, uh, and and uh, I don't mean to, the book is not only about Barbara Hutton, but again, Barbara, you know, she is the, the template to which one could, because she she fits the image of the heiress. Um, right. In fact, the poor little rich girl, you know, um, but she also, you know, really did live, live that thing. Um, and I think felt it within herself, you know. Um, and I imagine, yes, the guilt, 
I mean, there's on one level, there's the because the book is, yes, it's about heiresses, but the last thing in the world I wanted was just to write about, oh my God, that yacht and that, yeah, that, and her yacht was even right. bigger. And oh my God, you know, I mean, how boring and how, you know, inappropriate, really. But to, it is about the lives of, of women uh, um, and men, incidentally, because they're, 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 they're part of this as well. But um, it is about the way the, 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 the female sort of, female agency the increase in the first of all legally and then as it were psychologically because at the beginning of the 20th century even though a woman was much freer nevertheless the, the world was a very different place for a woman than from a man I mean you know internally you just you know even my mother's generation you got married not to get married was was odd and I'm not married and that's not odd at all. So, you know, that's a very obvious example. So it's about, it's not just about heiresses, it's, it's about all of us, really. But that, um, so as the, the forces of equality, both sexual and, you know, general egalitarianism came to meet these women, imagine the guilt, you know, when Barbara Hutton said, a generation separates me from the girls who work in the Woolworth stores, because of course she was the Woolworth heiress. Um, sure. I imagine that would that would if you weren't stupid and she really was not stupid, that would that would weigh upon you. And then you're not even happy, um, because in a way, I think to get ten million or twenty million or whatever would make me happy because. I think, oh gosh, I could do this with it. And I could buy a flat on the Upper East Side and I could start a dog sanctuary and I could do this and I could. But to them, never having known what it's like not to be able to do those things, what do they mean? What do they mean? What does, I talk about this blank sumptuous similarity of the days. What does it mean to save up and go on holiday to Venice? What does it mean when you could just get a suite at the Cipriani at the, you know, and you've probably got a canaletto on the wall anyway. What what does any of it mean? Where do you find the meaning? And that's that's the question, I suppose, at the heart of the book. Yeah, exactly. It wealth wealth is wealth is so multi-layered and multi-dimensional. And you know, it is, I it is true, more money, more problems. And you know, it's just a different way of life. And um, one that, you know, we I think myself included we all would just absolutely love to experience for a little bit but it's not it's not easy and cut and dry and I I love to quote authors to authors there were so many quotable moments throughout the book here here are a couple that I loved a quote that I kept thinking about long after I read it was when you wrote about quote the inheritance that controlled her life while appearing to liberate it that's 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 beautifully said and I was also compelled by the line quote it was better for a woman to have money except when it wasn't <laughs> so can, <laughs> yes can you unpack that for us Laura <laughs> well that, well first of all thank you um means a lot to me really and uh because it was not easy to write this book because I as I say I was so yeah, and very fearful always of tipping into the fatuous, like I say, just because someone had, you know, every 
piece of Chanel in that year's collection or whatever, that does not of itself make them interesting. So you're trying to find something else. Um, but yes, better to have money except when it wasn't. Well, um, I suppose, you, as you say, more money, more problems, but you could also say less money, more problems. So yeah. one, you know, yeah. one's always very aware of that. And particularly in the first half of the book, um, when these women, I mean, in the first half of the book, which is really set in, in this country, it's kind of quite London-based really, um, it was actually a, a really quite dangerous to be an heiress, unless you were also aristocratic. Um, these girls who suddenly found themselves owning fields um, in the middle of London that, oh, uh, a couple of hundred years later would be, you know, Belgravia or like the most expensive real estate in this country. Um, they would be auctioned off to husbands. They would be sometimes seized off the streets, literally kidnapped and raped because the man knew that once he got her, she, it would be very difficult for her to get away. I mean, some of these stories are, there's one that's straight from The Handmaid's Tale, taken off by a gang of women and, 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 and married off. And I, I mean, just unbelievable. It was really quite parlous to be an heiress when there was no legal protection, really. Right. So, but the, so that's why I say it was better to have money except when it wasn't. Because sometimes you found that the women who were, the, the, the men who were doing these things, who were usually, they were usually quite attractive men, they kind of had to be to, to, to marry an heiress, to seduce one. Um, they had what I call a rock star gleam, you know, you can imagine what they were like. And they would seduce the heiress. Quite often they had a female accomplice, a kind of, you know, um, like in Les Liaisons Dangereuses, the woman who's the procuress and what have you, who, who would, soften up the girl for the man. And in fact, that happened with Barbara Hutton's first marriage. So the women who didn't have the money, who were trying to get the money, had more agency than these poor heiresses who should have had power, who should have had their lives to own. And in fact, were just, you know, like a, a, a poor wretched deer that's, that's on a hill and that can be shot by some ghastly huntsman or something. They really were that vulnerable. Um, yeah. And it, it, it's 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 absolutely extraordinary how um, and and then if you go on with the book, sometimes that lack of agency within the mindset does seem to linger on, you know. Um, so to be a woman who made something of her life, sometimes it was better just to start with less, to state the obvious. <laughs> I I. Um... I, I will tell you that wealth is is something that I don't know if I aspire to wealth so much, but I've I've never been just kind of so content with being middle class as, as <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot, it's it's so it's so complex, right? I mean, anything, you know, anything in excess brings about so many complexities. And um another snippet I love from the book, quote, the 20th century heiress was freer than any class of women in history but freedom is not always such an easy thing to handle so you mentioned this a moment ago I would love for you to tell our listeners a little bit more about the heiress's burden what what is the heiress's burden yes well I suppose in a way we've been kind of circling that through this incredibly enjoyable conversation I mean 
I suppose at the heart of it is this sense of where is the meaning in my life and where is my true where is my true worth where is my true worth when the externals are so dazzling that everyone around me is is you know is enticed by them and wants them and 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 I'm provoking all these base um emotions in people and the and, and most you know the motivations of everyone around me are completely under suspicion so I suppose it is that it it it, it, it is that thing that we've been um, touching upon all the way through this which is yeah where is my where is my true worth where am I the where's the where where, where am I in the middle of all this I would I would call that the heiress's burden and that yes that that having too much freedom that's um you've picked out all the sentences that I was most happy with so that's that's really nice oh good we're um, on the same page no well it's it's absolutely true I mean too much freedom I mean even now you can talk about too much choice too much you know it is and and possibly particularly for women you know um and, and it's so hard just to think, okay, I'm me and this is my cause and to trust your own instincts about yourself. And I imagine like with most things about heiresses, everything is just magnified to the power of, I don't know, 10, 100, whatever mm. you like. That's so interesting. And, and you, you just brought up just such a compelling point in what you just said. Where is women or people really do we get our worth from? And, and, and that's, that's maybe, you know, at the crux of this book is, you know, where your worth is so much more than your dollar value. And, um, oh, it's, it's, it's so good. So there's so many women in this book. Was there one that compelled you the most? Was it Barbara? Well, in a, yes, it probably was. Cause I did feel she, you know, I, I, hesitate to say this to an American audience because she but she did she did frustrate me a lot and particularly the time I was writing the book which was in the depths of 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 the lockdown and the virus and what have you and you know really quite I won't pretend to leading that I lead a deprived life but money was not coming in and there's this woman just sort of chucking it around and I sort of thought oh come on you know but at the same time I had a deep pity and sympathy for her and her poems were so touching you know there was so so much sensitivity in that woman um but then I sort of compare her who with a woman who had a not dissimilar life which was Daisy Fellows who Mm -hmm. was also part of the sewing machine um she used to cross herself in a window in gratitude if she saw a sewing machine in the shop window she was Winneretta Singer's niece and um like Barbara had a had a strange upbringing her mother killed herself she was you know um but she kind of was not vulnerability she was having no truck with vulnerability she was all about power she slept with men for fun not not because she you know needed reassurance or anything she was totally in control of that life of hers even when it was sad or grief stricken and she, in that way, she, she seized her money and kind of enjoyed it. And she was, you know, she didn't just wear clothes because she could. 
um, and she didn't diet like Barbara because or she didn't want a man saying she was fat. She dieted because she wanted to look damn good in clothes. And <laughs> you know, we, we might think that's a bit silly or whatever, but she was she was always in control and funny and clever. And I kind of, she was a wicked Daisy Fellows, as they used to call her, but I kind of loved her. She was fun to write. I bet she would be really fun to write. And speaking of being oh, yeah. fun to write, there are quite a few scandals in the book. <laughs> which one? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Well, yes. Uh, which one most compelled you? You know, there was a woman called, uh, I think, is that the one I talk about when too much freedom is too easy? Um, is 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 terrifying, um, particularly applied to a woman called Alice de Jeanze, who was a Chicago heiress who married, like so many of them did, uh, a, a European aristocrat. Um, even after the Consuelo Vanderbilt, you know, trade horse trading, American money for British titles. Even when that was over, they still married European aristocrats, and she got caught up in the whole. Um, what they call the Happy Valley set in Kenya, when Kenya was a colony. And they were so unbelievably decadent out there. I mean, just a law unto themselves, gin drinking from morning, noon and night and sleeping with each other and oh my goodness. And Alice was in the middle of that and also in the middle of a fairly well-known murder um, that took place in, um, in the 1940, I think it was 1941, that became the film White Mischief, um, which is fairly accurate, not a particularly accurate portrayal of Alice, I don't think, but she really fascinated me, Alice, because she, um, she was a suspect for that murder and I'm not sure she didn't do it. I don't think she did it, but she may have done it. She, she had form, she'd shot a lover before. Um, at the Gare du Nord while saying goodbye to him in his arms. She put the gun in him. Um, she fascinated me because she was so beautiful. So mm -hmm. she had such a love of animals and so with all that sensitivity, but she just could not be happy at all. Mm -hmm. And even more than Barbara almost, because, you know, and um, so her story really interested me, Alice, but there's so much. There's oh, so much. so much. Oh my God. There's so much. <laughs> I think, I think, I, you know, I think there's, there's multiple things that I love about the book. First of all, it's just, it's juicy. I mean, it's just these, these women are compelling women. There's scandal, there's intrigue, but I think, you know, what I, maybe it's just because this is the stage of life I'm in, but it just, you know, I think you can probably tell from the tenor of my questions that it really had me thinking about, um, how we as women assign ourselves worth and and I'm not just talking a monetary value but how how do we and and how maybe money 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 can unlock a lot of doors there's no there's no doubt about that but it also is never as easy as it seems nothing is whether it's money or beauty or 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 intelligence what have you um it just had me thinking about it. honestly I walked away from this book compelled by these women but perfectly happy to be myself at the same time because oh, that's it, fantastic it's just <laughs> it, and it's just I I just there's so much here and and you know my last question for you is what do you hope readers take away from the book 
well, Rachel, you are my ideal reader, aren't you? I mean, oh, you're just perfect. No, you're just perfection. I mean, my goodness, how could I have a more lovely conversation? And to to yes, the the, the problem of how how to be a woman and you know that that that, that has that plagues us all and um all the, well it doesn't really plague me so much anymore because I just think I'm I'm me and um that that's it kind of but um for for, for you sound like a, a a young woman and it's it's a problem that doesn't go away and if in any way this book made people think okay money is the god today it really is it really is the billionaires and the rest of us you know um and sometimes that can be quite terrifying because you feel that the billionaires just they don't just own all the money they have all the power um you know how did and the the, the rest of us are just sort of trailing in their wake and and doing their bidding and that is quite scary but if this book in any way contributes to a sense of um autonomy within the reader then 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 that is far more than I expected when I wrote it and and a, a real honor honestly well you did it well, at least at least oh. reader um such a fascinating book Eris is the lives of the million dollar babies hit shelves February 15th thank you so much for being here today it was my honor to have you on the show Oh, thank you. It's been, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you, Rachel. Laura, I enjoyed this book and my time with you so much. Come back anytime. So I am excited to, in the spirit of Valentine's Day and my love of books, share with you some books I've read recently that are forthcoming that I know you will love. The first up is Pay Up, The Future of Women Who Work and Why It's Different Than You Think by Reshma Sajani, who is a founder of Girls Who Code and the author of another book I loved, Brave Not Perfect. This book tackles what Reshma calls the big lie of corporate feminism and presents a plan to address burnout and inequity that is harming America's working women today. This is an absolute must read. It unpacks the myth of having it all, hint it's not possible, and really calls on a sweeping culture shift from government intervention to corporate leadership. I absolutely loved this book and recommend it to everyone, women naturally, but also men too. Pay Up is out March 15th. Next up is Dessert Can Save the World, Stories, Secrets, and Recipes for a Stubbornly Joyful Existence by Christina Tosi, founder of Milk Bar. Christina has long been an entrepreneur I've looked up to, and with this book, come for the recipes and stay for the lessons in relentless optimism, clearing space for magic to happen, and how she wrote her own recipe for her life. It's impossible to leave not feeling good. Dessert Can Save the World is out March 8th. I am so excited because I get to interview Robin Roberts for Glamour Magazine, all centering around her new book, Brighter by the Day, Waking Up to New Hopes and Dreams, which is out March 29th. In the book, Robin teaches us that optimism is a muscle and lets us into her own journey towards it. It's a quick and easy read, uplifting and enlightening, and I loved reading it. 
Other books I'm obsessed with right now from the fashion space, Dress Code, Unlocking Fashion from the New Look to Millennial Pink by one of Elle Magazine's editors, Veronique Highland. Literally every chapter is about a piece of fashion I never sat down and thought about, like it girls and color and French girls and military wear and influencers and dressing for the court of law to uniforms to the female gaze. Every page was compelling. Dress Code is out March 15th. And hopping over to the beauty space, I fell in love with Caroline Hyren's skincare, the new edit, where Caroline's tell-it-like-it-is personality jumps off every page. Here are just a couple of pro tips. We should spend the majority of our money on serums. You don't have to use everything from the same brand. What's needed in a basic skincare routine. Never exercise with makeup on. The difference between a physical and a chemical sunscreen and why we should throw away our sheet masks, pore strips, expensive clay masks, and cellulite creams, to name a few. This book is out April 12th. So from the memoir side of the house, Molly Shannon's forthcoming Hello, Molly, out April 12th, teaches me so much I didn't know about the funny woman, including that when she was a little girl, she was in a car accident with her father at the wheel that killed her mother, her sister, and her cousin. She, her father, and another sister survived. There's so much good in this book about such a compelling woman. And also, Chiquise Rivera's Unstoppable, How I Found My Strength Through Love and Loss, is out now and touches on the grief she felt when she lost her mother, famous singer Jenny Rivera, in a 2012 plane crash. It also talks about when her marriage failed and how to choose yourself. I learned so much about her, and this book is jam-packed with life lessons. So those are my top spring picks. And as always, there are just so many good books to read out there. We'll be back later this week with another great book, Madeline Doors, I Didn't Do the Thing Today. Do you ever find yourself struggling with productivity guilt, feeling that you didn't get enough accomplished today? Me too, almost every day. You'll need to make sure to tune into this episode. You'll feel set free. I know I did. Talk soon.